You guys may be seated, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, For those that are watching online, we're glad that they have joined us as well. It's always good to get to gather together and to study God's Word together and to hear what God has to say to us. Uh, Last week, uh, Dalton spoke. I was gone out of town, and and I told Dalton this, and I'll say it to you as a church. Um, His message last week was probably one of the best that I've ever heard. Uh, the content, the heart of the gospel, everything was so clear. Uh, it spoke to my heart in ways that I needed to hear, in ways that, that challenged me in my faith. And I am so thankful uh, that when I need to be gone, he can step up and do something like that and that God can work through him in that way. Last week he talked to us about two brothers, the story of the prodigal son. I, I prefer it to be the prodigal sons, plural, because both were distant from their father, even though one was close in proximity. He talked about the two brothers, the older and the younger. Today, I want to talk about two sisters that the Bible tells us about, one older and one younger. Uh, There are many similarities between these older siblings, and and I think there's some some parallels that we can draw today in this message. Uh, The scripture's already been read to you this morning. Zane took care of that and shared with us God's word, but I want us to look at it again real quick, and then... uh, And I want to look at these two sisters and how their story plays out and what God does in their life, because I think there's some some fabulous truths that we as believers need to hear. Before I dive into this story, though, let me tell you this. Some people will look at this story and say, well, it's it's a picture of those who are in ministry and those who are just doing secular work. No, it's not. This is a picture of two believers Two believers who are taking completely different approaches uh, to relating to God. And these two sisters have have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, By the time Jesus comes into their home, uh, they already know him. And uh, and they're trying to, to demonstrate their deep love for the Lord. They go about it in different ways. And that's what creates the conflict. So in Luke chapter 10... Beginning in verse 38, um, the story is just put here in, in the book of Luke. In fact, it's nowhere else in the Gospels. This is the only time it's recorded about this encounter Jesus has with Mary and Martha. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus and his disciples, okay, Jesus entered a village. He was in Bethany. Luke doesn't give us the details of where he's at or whose home he's in, but he was there in, in Bethany. And it says, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion. The NIV says she's chosen what is best. And it will not be taken away from her. So what do we know about these two sisters, Mary and Martha? We know that they were the sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, the one that died, that Jesus came late and resurrected. Uh, these two sisters lived in the town of Bethany. We know that. Uh, but let's, let's talk about what we know about these two sisters. First of all, we know about Martha, that she seems to always 
be serving. Everywhere Martha is mentioned in Scripture, you see Martha serving. She was a, a servant. She had a servant's heart. She loved to, to serve. She was the, the kind of person here that, that was involved, it says, in, in much serving, is the way Luke described her. Uh, but also in, in John chapter 12, verse 2, we see her described as being a servant. In John chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, it says six days before the Passover. This is right before Jesus goes to the cross. So about a week before Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus came back to Bethany, uh, where Lazarus was, the one whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. That was her thing. That was what she did well. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. So we know here about Martha that she had this servant's heart. Here she is serving early uh, in Jesus' ministry, and now she's still serving at the end of Jesus' ministry. Martha loved to serve. She was the the older of the two sisters. The Bible uh, doesn't specifically say that, but everything that we read seems to make us think that she was the oldest. It was described as her house that Jesus entered, not her sisters or not her brothers, but, but hers. And so here she is as the older child, and she is there and, and, and believed to be the, the oldest one in that house. She loved to serve. She was thoughtful. She was responsible. She was the, the hospitable one. Uh, the one that went out and welcomed Jesus to come into her house. Uh, she was very much a detailed person, wanting everything to be just right. We, we gather from this story about Mary and Martha that, that Martha was, was trying to put on this massive meal. It wasn't, let's just go throw some peanut butter sandwiches together and serve Jesus. This was, Jesus is here. Man, I love him. He is the Messiah. He is my Lord. He is the one. I want everything to be perfect. Some of you are detail people like that. You want everything to be perfect. When you put your hand to it, you want it to be just right. But detail people sometimes can get so caught up in the details, they miss what's right before them. So here we see Martha. She is this, this hospitable person, this detail person. She's very conscientious. She is, she is a lot like that older brother that Dalton talked about last week. Remember that the older brother, when the father went out to him, what did the older brother say? Lord, I have always been here. I've served you with everything I've got every single day, and I've been faithful. My other brother, he, he wandered off. But I'm the one that's held the reins. I'm the one that showed responsibility. I'm the one that's, that's, that's been dedicated to you. Look at all I've done. And that's about where Martha is in this story. There's, there's something about being that person that feels like that everything rests upon you, that, that then when everybody doesn't fall in line behind you, you get frustrated and you get angry. And that's where Martha's at in this story. She's the, she's the sister. She's the one that's, that's, that's in charge. She's the one that was her idea to bring Jesus in the house. It's her idea to put out a 10-course meal. Martha is this person that loves to serve. And there is nothing wrong with serving. We're called to serve. We're called to, to be conscientious. We're called to do everything we do as if we are doing it unto the Lord and to do it with the best of our ability, the best of our strength. But, but in this story, what happens is that Martha gets so caught up in the details, she loses sight of who's in her dining room. She's more concerned about the meal than she is with being with her master. She's more concerned about those details than, than she is about being just devoted and quiet and in his presence. That's Martha, though. That's her personality. That's the way God wired her was to be this servant. 
What do we know about Mary, the sister? You know, the one that's the the lazy one that just sat at Jesus' feet. What do, we, what do we know about her? We, we know that this was probably not the first time that she had been at Jesus' feet. In fact, there's a, a story about this lady named Mary that came and anointed Jesus. In, in, in John chapter 11, when it describes Jesus coming back to Bethany for that final trip, in, in John chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, um, let me read to you what, what John says. It's, it's amazing to see how she is described. It, it, it's the story of Lazarus. He is ill. And a certain man uh, was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. It was her whose brother Lazarus was ill. So here we see that this Mary, this was not the first time that Jesus had met Mary. It was not the first time that Mary had been at Jesus' feet. Uh, The scholars are divided over whether this anointing that Mary did was done once or done twice. Uh, There's good argument for for both views. Uh, I tend to think that it was done twice. Some would, would argue with me about that, but here's why I believe that it was done twice. I believe it was done very early in Jesus' ministry, and I'll look at that with you in just a minute. But then I think it was done also six days before Jesus' death. I think something happened at that first encounter with Mary that completely changed her life. I want us to look at that encounter. It's in Luke chapter 7. So if you've got your Bibles, look there with me real quick. In Luke chapter 7, this is the, what I believe was the first encounter that Mary had with Jesus. I think that she had seen him, she had heard of him, she knew the compassion and the love, the forgiveness and the grace. She had heard those things about Jesus, and it's what drove her to do what she did here in Luke chapter 7. So in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, kind of a long passage, but let me, let me read it to you and walk you through it. This is what, uh, what Luke records. He says, one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And so he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. That would have been the customary thing to do. So here's this Pharisee, the religious teacher of that day, the one that was, was strict about the rules and, 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 and all those ceremonial things that the Pharisees observed. And so he invites Jesus to come. Jesus goes to his house. They recline at the table. And it says, and behold, a woman of the city. That's not a good title. A woman of the city who was a sinner. So if we didn't think the title woman of the city was bad enough, we're going to give her a second title, and that is that she was a sinner. When she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Let me just say real quick. For a woman of the city, a sinner, labeled by the Pharisees to just show up at a Pharisee's house unannounced, was taboo. It was unheard of. In that day and in that time, you did not, women were not included in most of these events anyway. And for her to barge through the door, to run to Jesus' feet... To fall at his feet and to touch him, the, 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 the rabbi, the teacher. Women didn't do that in that day. That was, that, was, that was just so taboo and so bad. And so here she's breaking these social norms. She's, she's, she's rushing past, if you would, the guards at the door. She's, she's going in and she's falling at Jesus' feet and everybody is just in shock and nobody knows what to think. All the Pharisee can think is that she is a woman of the city and she is a sinner 
And oh, she's in my house. But Jesus doesn't flinch. Jesus doesn't recoil at the thought of her sinfulness. He doesn't recoil at the, at the, at the, at the touch of her hands or if the, 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 the wetting of the, the feet with her tears or, or, or the wiping with her hair. He, he doesn't sit there and think, oh gosh, where have these hands been? Oh gosh, where have these, where, what, what has she participated in? Jesus welcomes her, even though the Pharisee did not. And it's interesting, in verse 39, it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself. Interesting, he doesn't say it out loud. He says it to himself, maybe under his breath, maybe just mumbling, maybe just in his mind. This was his heart. If this man, Jesus, were a prophet, so he's doubting Jesus' deity. He's doubting who Jesus is. The claims that Jesus has already made about himself, he's doubting that. He's saying, nah. This is proof that he's not who he says he is. If he, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is that is touching him. For she is a sinner. This Pharisee can't get past the label. He, he can't move beyond her, her past. He can't see anything but she is a sinner, undeserving, unlike me. Again, you were talking about the, the big brother, little brother. Here we go again. We see it in this story. you got the Pharisee who is, is righteous and holy, and I've done everything right all my life. I've kept the law. I've memorized the Old Testament. I've done all these religious things. My house is clean. And now it's filthy with a sinner. Big brothers tend to use labels. That's what they do. It's what Martha did to her sister. She's lazy. She's sitting here. I'm in here working my fingers to the bone, and, and she's out here laughing at your stories. Why would the Lord love a lazy person? That's what she's thinking. So this guy's thinking to himself these thoughts. If Jesus was a prophet, he, he would know who it is and, and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. And, and he doesn't say it out loud, but Jesus answers him anyway. It's interesting. Jesus answers and says to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. Uh Uh-oh. So Simon answers, all right, say it, teacher. He said there was a certain moneylender who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, neither one, by the way, could pay. He canceled the debt of both. Already Jesus has got the Pharisee on the hook here. Okay. What Jesus is saying is, you don't realize it, Simon, but you're a sinner. And you may think you owe me less than Mary owes me, but you both owe me a debt you cannot pay. You both owe me something that you cannot redeem on your own. And he says, the the man canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose... (laughs) He's getting back in the corner. He doesn't like it. The, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus says to him, you've judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. Okay, look, so the woman's behind Jesus, okay? He turns to her, but he speaks to Simon. Simon, do you see this woman? Well, that's obvious. 
Simon's been pointing her out. Look at her, Lord, she's a sinner. She's touching you. She's in my house. Do you see this woman? Jesus says, I entered your house, Simon, and you gave me no water. Jesus is showing the insensitivity, the the lack of humility, the lack of a servant's heart that this Pharisee had. I entered your house. It was your responsibility to give me water for my feet, but you didn't. But she has wet my feet with her tears. She's wiped them with her hair. Long before she broke the jar, she was broken by her sin. You see, the, the, the ointment wouldn't have meant anything had she not been broken. But long before she broke the jar, she had her heart broken by her sin. You gave me no water, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, Simon, gave me no kiss, no greeting, no welcome. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. It was bad enough to wash somebody's feet in those days. Mary was so humble. She wasn't just washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. She was kissing them with her lips. Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil. That would have been a great greeting, a great gesture. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, because of the humility of her heart, the brokenness over her sin, because she has come to me at at great risk to enter your house and to do what she's done, she's cast aside the social norm. She's cast aside what anybody else would think. She knew the only person that can fix me is Jesus, and I've got to get to him. At great risk, she came. And therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many. Listen, Jesus never discounts our sin. Jesus never denies our sinfulness. In fact, the reason that she needed Jesus was because she was in great debt. She was the one that owed him the great debt. Just like the rest of us do, by the way. But she recognized her debt. The Pharisee had yet to recognize his. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. Remember the question he asked the Pharisee? One guy forgiven a little debt, the other guy forgiven a big debt. Which one's going to love the most? The one with the big debt. All right. She's got a big debt, Simon. And that debt has just been wiped clean. Just been wiped clean. Because she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, you, Simon, here's talking to Simon, you have little love for me. And then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who 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 is this who even forgives sin? What kind of authority does he think he has to say, Your sins are forgiven? So Jesus goes one better. He turns to the woman and he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your heart can be at rest. 
Your sins have been atoned for. They've been taken care of. They've been forgiven. They've been washed away. Your past is now your past, Mary. You can go free. This is the Mary that we're talking about here in our story. This Mary who first met Jesus at his feet. Is it any doubt, any doubt that when Jesus came into her home, the first place she wanted to be was where? Right back at his feet. Here's what's interesting to me about us as believers. We may come to Jesus' feet at salvation and fall at his feet in brokenness and confess our sin to God and, and, and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner and all that. But, but then we have opportunity day after day to come back to his feet and we don't ever go back. We, we check that off, saved, done. But we don't go back. We, we need to run back to his feet again and again. So what does this tell us about, about Mary? So what do we learn about Mary in this story? First of all, social norms didn't matter to her. Mary was not into impressing people like her sister Martha was. She, she didn't care. Social norms, she had been labeled all of her adult life as the, the woman of the city, the, the sinner, the terrible person. She went to the Pharisee's house uninvited. She didn't care about social norms. She cared about finding rest and peace for her heart. She'd been labeled a sinful woman with a well-known history. Sounds a lot like that younger brother in Dalton's story last week. Perhaps the reason that she didn't stick to social norms was they hadn't satisfied her heart. They hadn't met her deepest need. So people's opinions to her no longer mattered. All that mattered to her was what Jesus said about her. That's all that mattered. She knew, we see in the story, that she had to get to Jesus because no matter the obstacles that stood in her way, Jesus was the only one that she had ever heard of, that had ever, ever even met, that would accept her as she was. Only Jesus could do that. He was different. He was her only hope. He held the forgiveness that she desperately needed. She knew that she was a sinner and that he was the Savior. She also knew something else. That though she were not worthy, he was. He was worthy of the best that she had. If this really occurred two different times, the second time she does it, the, the disciples get mad. Why all this waste? We could have sold this jar of perfume and we could have fed the world. She didn't hold anything back because even though she wasn't worthy, he was. He was worthy of her best. That's why she was broken before the jar was broken. The fifth thing we learn about her is this, that at her feet, she found a whole new identity. When Mary left that Pharisee's house that day, she left a different person. For the first time in her life, she felt valued and not used. She felt cherished and not cheap. She felt like that she mattered more than she'd ever mattered before. Because that's what happens when we come to Jesus' feet. That moment at his feet, she was broken and repentant. But she was loved and she was accepted. She was valued and she was forgiven. It changed everything about Mary from that moment forward. 
So no wonder when Jesus comes to her house, she wants to sit at his feet. No wonder when Jesus arrives and and there's much to be done. Jesus didn't come alone. He had 12 disciples with him. There is much to be prepared. There is much to be done. And she had a choice to spend her time trying to make everything perfect or to spend her time soaking up everything she could that Jesus had to say to her. For those of you that lean toward perfectionism, toward workaholism, and I am speaking to myself, every day we've got a choice to make between whether things are going to be perfect or we're going to be with Jesus. And it's going to be hard to do both. It's going to be hard to make sure that everything is perfect. And still carve out time to be with Jesus. Mary understood the food didn't matter. Jesus did. The food wasn't even on Mary's radar. Her sister Martha, now she's the got it all together girl. She's she's the highly respected, the hostess. She was, you know, the the one that that, that when when somebody threw a, a party in town, they called Martha to come and cater it. She was the girl. She wanted things done right. Mary was just this hot mess. Just a hot mess. But a hot mess who had never gotten over God's amazing grace. She never got over what happened at Jesus' feet that day. So Mary can sit, nothing to prove. While Martha was compelled to serve, possibly even trying to still prove her worth to Jesus. Listen, if we are not careful, we can be great servants who are still trying to prove our worth to this world and to God. I I can't question your motives, but I've spent a lot of time this week looking at mine. Why do I do what I do? Is it to prove that I'm, I'm worthy? Is it to prove that I'm good? Is it to prove that I'm a hard worker and, and, and that I'll give everything I've got? Why do I do what I do? And it's not that we stop doing. We, we, we change the motive for what we do. If I'm doing what I'm doing just to impress you, then I'm no different than the Pharisees of that day who did everything that they did to impress others. But if I do what I do out of a grateful heart and a a heart of thanksgiving for what God has done for me, that's a whole different ballgame. This passage in Luke chapter 10, we see Mary is listening intently. It says that she sat at his feet and she listened to his words. That word listen in the Greek is a word that means she was zeroed in. She Nothing else was on her radar. Nothing else mattered to her. Everything else was blocked out. We see a great difference between her and her sister Martha. Mary was focused on Jesus. Martha was distracted by many things, by much serving. Both are good things. But one is great, and one is good. Let's look at the story again in in Luke chapter 10. 
And let's walk through it and let's kind of pick apart the, the, the details of the story because what we're told in this story is not what Jesus was teaching. We, we, don't, we don't have Luke sitting down and writing down everything Jesus was teaching as, as Mary sat at his feet. The, the point of this story is not what Jesus was teaching, but the response of the two sisters. The point of the story is not the content of what Jesus was trying to teach to the disciples that, that, that included Mary sitting at his feet. What we see here is that Jesus is going to teach, but he's not going to teach the one you would think he would teach. He's going to teach Martha, the good sister, the responsible one, the super servant. So maybe this message today is not just to the average Christian. Maybe this message today is really meant for those of you that think you are the super Christian. You know, in in the church they say that that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's the Marthas. Maybe this message is for you. That busy is not always better. That ministry is not all that matters. That there's more than just staying busy. There's more than just filling up a calendar. There's more than just getting out there and doing, 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 doing. There's something that's even more important than that, and that's sitting at Jesus' feet. So we would do well this morning to listen intent without distraction to what Jesus says here. Let's, let's, let's dive in. So Jesus enters the village. Martha welcomes him into her home. And, and then it says in verse 39, and she had this sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, which is unheard of in that day. Again, this is not, women in that day were not allowed to sit at the feet of a rabbi and listen to his teaching. If a woman learned anything, she usually learned it from her husband or her older brother or somebody who had been at the feet of a rabbi. But women were not included in that. But look what Jesus does. He elevates women here to a place that they had not been before. People look at the Bible and say, oh, it's it's, it's, it's harsh on women. Jesus is elevating women here. He is the one that's, that's, that's allowing her to sit at his feet, and she is teaching her. He is not distracted by her being at his feet. He's delighted that she is there. In fact, he invites Martha to come and do the same. So she is, she is there. She is sitting at the Lord's feet. She is listening to his teaching. Again, this is at her feet is a, is a sign of submission. Anytime the Bible refers to somebody sitting at a person's feet, it's always a sign that they are coming under the authority of that person. Scripture says at the end of time that, 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 that Jesus' enemies will sit at his footstool. It's a sign of his authority over them at the end. This is a picture that we get here. Is that, that, that not just that she wants to sit around and, and, and gather around a campfire and hear some campfire stories at all. She is there to listen and to learn and to be that disciple. She has come under the authority of Jesus. She is placing herself at his feet under his authority to learn from him. She is listening intently to his teaching. We get the, we get the idea here that she is absorbed She is focused on every word that Jesus is saying. How do we know that? Because Martha's over here in the kitchen. And she's beating on the pots and the pans and making all the noise. Clearing her throat and trying to get Mary's attention to get her in the kitchen where she belonged. Because that's where women belonged in that day. And Mary doesn't hear. She doesn't hear the clanging of the pots. She doesn't hear the coughing of her sister. She doesn't hear any of those signals that her sister is sending out. And the more that Martha beats on the pots, the matter Martha gets that Mary doesn't hear or that she doesn't care. Or even worse, Jesus doesn't care. 
That's Mary. Focused intent. Now Martha. Here's the contrast. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted. That word distracted in the Greek means this, literally, to be torn away from, to be torn to pieces, to be torn away from. She was torn away from what was most important. She had allowed her meal to take her away from what was most important. How many times do we get distracted, torn away from what is most important by something that's lesser important? It happens every day, many times, moment by moment, throughout that day. We carry these cell phones in our pocket, and we think the minute that they ding, we've got to respond. You can be in the middle of your quiet time. You can be right there where God's ready to speak to you, ready to say something to you, and your phone dings, and you go, oh, well, let me see what I may respond to that. Let me, let me hit like. And we're distracted from the moment that God's ready to say something to us. Martha, doing something good, honorable, decent, hospitable. Mary's focused, but Martha is distracted. She was torn away from. And notice what she's distracted with. Not sinful thoughts. Not chasing boys. Not how much money's in the bank. She's distracted with much Serving. A good thing. For those of you that are leaders in our church, deacons, elders, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, servants, your ministry can be a distraction if you're not careful. It can take you away from the very thing that God has called you to. There are so many distractions in our world. Martha is distracted by the difference between her and Mary. My lazy sister sitting in there, just soaking up. I'd love to be sitting at Jesus' feet, but somebody's got to fix the meal. Somebody's got to do this thing. I don't know how many times in my spirit I have felt as we've recovered from storms and from hurricanes. And, and, and many people come up to me, good people, you just need to slow down, preacher. And you know what my initial thought is? If I don't do this, who is? And I get angry. If I'm being honest. Just slow down, preacher. And by the way, usually it's the people that say, just slow down, preacher. They say, oh, by the way, if you're not busy on Tuesday, can you come by and look at something? <laughs> and I'm like, if I don't do it, who will? And you feel this, this pressure and this responsibility. That's what Martha's feeling. But it's a distraction from what's most important. She's distracted. How can Mary be so oblivious to everything we need to be doing? We have so many distractions in our world today. Everything from politics to pandemics to careers to relationships to our dreams and all these things that distract us from what God has called us to do and to be. You ever ridden down the highway and you see the sign, don't text and drive? Don't be distracted. It could be deadly. And there are, there, are, there are many distractions that are physically deadly. Accidents at work because somebody's not paying attention. Accidents on the road because somebody had to send a text. There, there, there are things that distract us and, 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 and can bring death. 
But even worse than that are the distractions that are spiritual. The distractions that call us away from where we were intended to be, doing what God had intended for us to do. Good things can distract us. Sometimes our ministry, sometimes trying to serve other people can can be the thing that pulls us away from the very thing that we ought to be doing. Martha was distracted with much serving. Serving's a good thing unless it's keeping you from the greater thing. Martha was using her gifts. Man, she would have been chairman of the social committee. She would have been the church hostess. She would have been the one preparing all the funeral meals. She was that 20% that did 80% of the work. Yet the Bible says that she was distracted. And as she got distracted, she got angry. And she began to think that Mary was her problem. Tell her to help me. Tell her to get off her butt and get in the kitchen where she belongs. That's what she's saying. It never occurred to Mary that the problem rested with her. I mean, with with Martha. It never occurred to Martha that the problem rested with her and not with her sister. It never occurred to her that her sister had it right and that she had it wrong. Her only thought was, somebody's got to get this done. And as the leader, as the older sister, as the homeowner, as the hostess, she took it upon herself and expected everybody else to fall in line and to do their part. And Mary's non-response to her sister's cues created this bitterness, this frustration, and this anger. And it even caused her to doubt the sincerity of the Lord's love for her. Lord, I've invited you into my house. I'm trying to prepare this great meal for you. Don't you even care that I'm having to do this by myself? Don't you even care that I'm missing out on all the good stuff because I've taken on this huge responsibility? And I think Jesus would have said to her, you know what, Mary, Martha, I I never gave you that responsibility. I never asked you to fix me a 10-course meal. I'm honored that you would, but that's not required. There's, There's one thing that's required. And Mary has found it. She's chosen it. And by the way, it says here that that Mary has chosen the good portion. She has chosen what is best, Scripture says. And it will not be taken away, torn away from her. Listen, listen, this great play on words. Mary, Martha was distracted, torn away from what was most important. Jesus says, Martha, just because you were torn away doesn't mean your sister's going to be torn away. Just because you think that's important doesn't mean that it is important. Here may be the problem at the core. Martha had never, ever dreamed that Jesus would prefer Martha over her meals. Maybe nobody else had ever valued Martha that much. We know Mary didn't feel that way until Jesus valued her. And now it's Martha's turn to feel that value. Many times we read this and, and we think, man, Jesus is nailing Martha to the wall. Jesus is just scolding her and, 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 and chastising her. He is not. When, when Jesus looks at Martha, he says, Martha, Martha. 
Anytime a name is doubled in Scripture like that, Martha, Martha, it is a sign of great love, of admiration, of deep, deep, deep feeling. When David's son Absalom, that revolted against him, died, David didn't say, oh, Absalom. David says, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. There's that deep hurt that his son is dead. The son that he loved. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he doesn't say, my God, you've forsaken me. What does he say? My God, my God. The one I love. He looks at Martha with great love here. And he says, Martha, Martha, I love you deeply. But you're anxious and you're troubled about many things that aren't this important. Martha may have never before felt that kind of love. Of that kind of of, of being valued. People used Martha for her meals. They used Martha so that they could look good. They used Martha so that when they had an event, they didn't have to think about anything or, or plan anything. Just give it to Martha and she can make it happen. And Martha was only as good as Martha's ministry in her mind. But here Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you've been yanked away. You've been torn apart from what's important. I'll not tear Mary apart from this. You are worried about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary's found it. She's discovered it. She discovered it at my feet back then, and she's never gotten over it even today. And here's what Jesus does, is he says to Martha, not in Scripture, but I believe this is what Jesus was heading at. Martha, let's, let's put down the pots and just come. Come join your sister. Come sit at my feet. Come under my authority. Come with this, this, this undistracted desire just to hear what I've got to say. That second anointing where Mary goes and anoints Jesus is six days before Jesus' death. And it's a, it's a lot very similar to the first anointing where she shows up and she anoints Jesus with the oil. And in that last anointing, the disciples are, are, are angry, mainly Judas. He was the keeper of the bag, the Bible says, keeper of the money pouch. And he was upset that she didn't sell the, just sell the oil, put the money in my pouch, because said Judas often took money out for himself. He was a thief. And Jesus, in the midst of those people trying to, to shame her and scorn her for what she had done, Jesus says, she has just anointed me for my death. Do you realize at that point, the disciples still hadn't grasped that Jesus was going to die? They still didn't understand fully that he was headed to the cross. They were still looking for that political Messiah to come and to, to deliver them from Rome. They, they, didn't, they didn't grasp it, but Mary did. Where did Mary learn such truth? At the feet of Jesus. 
And if we're going to learn the deep truths that everybody else is, is, is missing, that the rest of the world just rushes by, we are only going to learn those truths at the feet of Jesus. We're only going to learn those truths as we carve out time to sit at his feet. When we realize that, that, that our time with Jesus is more important than our time with anybody else. That it's more important than our ministry. It's more important than anything. That our identity is forged. That the truths of Scripture are revealed. That the things that really matter are accomplished at the feet of Jesus more than they are in anything else that we do. We've got a group of high school students college students that are some of the greatest servants that I have ever met. You guys are incredible guys, but I'm going to say to you this morning, based upon the word of God, do not ever value your ministry more than your time with Jesus. Do not ever get those two things out of balance because if you do, you will be like me and you will, you will spend a lot of time in ministry doing a lot of things for people and miss that time with the Lord that makes you stand out. Jesus says about Mary at that last anointing, what she has done here today, the anointing me for my burial, will be spoken of forever. She will be remembered forever. Not because she was the great hostess, not because she could throw the best party, but because she understood things that everybody else has missed. If we're going to be the men and the women that God's called us to be, then we've got to be at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, busy is not better. Being with me is the best, Jesus says. You see, Martha wanted to do something great, to do something special for Jesus. Mary just wanted to be with Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to learn from Jesus. As we close today, let me ask you this. Where are you searching for your identity? It's a question I've had to ask myself all week long. What am I looking at to define me? Where, where are you looking for your identity? Are you looking for it in the kitchen? Or in the shop? Or in the workplace? Are you looking at it through your family by producing perfect kids? Finding the perfect spouse? Are you searching for your identity through your ministry and what you do and how you serve and what you can, can, can do for others? Our true identity is only going to be found at the feet of Jesus. Let that be the thing that defines you. Let that be the thing that people talk about years and years after you're gone. They won't remember the stuff that we did. But they will remember the character that was forged. The relationship that was nurtured at the feet of Jesus. Let that be your legacy. May that be my legacy. May we not spend the rest of our lives just trying to please people. May we spend the rest of our lives sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he has to say and then obediently responding because he is God and he has a claim and a right to every area of our lives. Where do you find your identity today? Maybe today you need to come back to the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, this is where it all started and this is where it needs to continue. And just sit.
at his feet and let him speak. Carve out that time every day where that's your time with him and all the other distractions have to go. Everything else just has to wait. Because if you don't get that, nothing else matters. Let's pray together.